Just a few minutes ago, we just introduced um, Randy to you, and I just want to just remind you, you never know, you never know who God is putting in front of you day to day. I share that with you because as I kind of joked, 11 years ago, Randy and I met because his bus broke down, and I had a bus full of students, and he had a bus full of students that couldn't go forward, and we all got on one bus, and a friendship began to Uh, come together through that because we were both believers in Christ. And so I want to challenge you as we move forward in this today. People are going to be watching you whether they're a believer or not a believer. And God has put people in our lives every day for a purpose. And sometimes we go throughout our lives and we forget that every moment counts for the kingdom of God. Every moment. Even the ones that we don't seem to understand, even when it just seems like the mundane or just just the regular moments of life, God has allowed us to walk through each one of those for a purpose. And so may we, as Aaron Keyes writes in one of his songs, may we see God in the ordinary. May we see God every day in the ordinary, not just looking for the extraordinary, like those few little moments, like can we see God every day in the ordinary? Today I want to go to John chapter 17, 14 through 20. And the title of this message is really how, what is our relationship to the world? In John 17, 14 through 20, we see in the scripture that Jesus is praying. And in praying, he's actually praying for us. Let's actually start in verse 20 and then go back to verse 14. In verse 20, it says this, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but on those also who believe in me through their word. Jesus is praying for all of us. He's speaking about all of us as believers and those who will come to know Christ throughout time. Well, let's go back to verse 14 and see part of this prayer. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sake, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. When we were in Israel a couple months ago, two months ago, it seems like yesterday we flew back in. 49 of us from Luke 4.18 over in Israel. And as we were there, we had a wonderful time. We walked through five sites, four to five different sites a day. And as we went to leave from Israel, we were having a dinner. They call it a goodbye dinner. I like to call it the Last Supper. And as we had our dinner, our goodbye dinner, the team of 48, 49, counting myself, surprised me. They had purchased an olive wood cutout carving to give to me. And I want to show it to you today. Is that okay? I've got it hidden back here. They gave me an olive wood cutout of the Good Shepherd. Let me show you a picture, just to show you the raw of emotion. This is the picture of this, 
of the Good Shepherd, hand-carved, and the guy who carved it, is his name is here, but I can't read it. But Stephen, if you'll show up that picture here, this is a picture of raw emotion in Israel of them handing, giving me this, the Good Shepherd, the olive cutting. I show you that raw emotion because I want you to walk on a journey with me of this olive wood cut out. You can take the picture off. I want to take you on a journey of this cutout. As I began to pray and ask the Lord what I was supposed to teach on today, the Lord continued to bring me back to this. Now, it's sitting on my desk, and this is pretty substantial on my desk, so it's kind of hard not to go back to this. But the Lord began to show me and, and help me understand what all I walked through with, with Jesus. I'm going to move this up here, and I'm going to put this right here. Now, the first thing I want you to see today in John 17 is verse 20. It says, I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but also those who believe in me through their word. The first thing I want you to see is is that our relationship with the world changes when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So that picture that I just showed you was them giving me the statue. They were giving me the olive wood cutout. Now, I want you to understand, I was a believer before that point, obviously. But I want you just to think for just a second, when they handed that to me, in my moment, when we accept Jesus Christ and begin to carry Christ in our heart, the Holy Spirit, our life has changed. In relationship with the church, but also in relationship with the world. How that changes is salvation. The first thing I want you to see is is that in this, for us to be part of verse 20, for us to be being prayed for by Jesus, there must have been salvation in our life. Now Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians several times about who we once were, and I've shared this many times, but I want to just read Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 for just a second. It says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air. Let me stop there. We've already talked about this before. We talk about it on Wednesday nights. Who's the prince of the power of the air? The devil. And the devil, the prince of the power of the air, that's talking about the world, right? That's talking about the world's system. That's talking about the world's forces, as you see in Ephesians chapter 6. So we see here that we formally walked according to who? We formally walked according to the prince of the power of the air, which is the devil, Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Look at verse 3. Among them we too all formally, formally, formally. Why formally? Because he's talking to believers now. Those who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They've repented of their sins. He's saying formally you lived in the lust of the flesh. Indulging in the desire of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature, I want you to see this, by nature children of wrath even as the rest. Previous to salvation, we were part of the world system. We were following the demonic world system, the prince of the power of the air. You say, David, I don't know if I was following him. Yes, you were. Let me show you Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, For he, Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness. He rescued you and I as believers from the domain of darkness. 
That's who we once were. This is such a big concept that Paul said many times, I'm not going to show it on the screen due to time, but in Ephesians 2, 11 through 12, Ephesians 4, 22, Ephesians 5, 8, Paul says, and Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, he says, you formerly were. He says many times, remember who you once were. Remember that without Christ you were dead. And in one instance he says you had no hope. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, you had no hope. So we once were dead. But praise God, Jesus came. Now I want you to see that when I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I want you to see in this picture, just as a reference here, if you'll go back to that picture of me receiving this this olive wood cutout, I want you to see the emotion on my face. Now for me, that was raw emotion because I love y'all. I love Luke 4.18. I love the people here. And the 48 that we took to Israel was just a snapshot of the totality of Luke 4.18. But you know what the Lord showed me in this picture? Is that that raw emotion is also what takes place at the point of repentance. Why? For two reasons. One, we come to the understanding of who we are. Dead. Deserving hell. Deserving life without Christ. No way of gaining that on our own. That's a very sobering, sobering point. But you know why else we have that raw emotion? You know why else we have that excitement and that joy in the morning of who we are, in the, in the weeping and, 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 and the, the, the pain of who we once were, we have joy in the midst of it. And let me tell you something, joy can come out in tears. We have joy because we realize that when we repent and turn to Jesus, we're saved. Now, isn't it interesting, so often we'll talk about salvation, but so few times will you hear, and you'll hear it here at Luke 4.18, but so few times you hear the word repent. Let me tell you what Jesus says in Matthew 4.17. As he begins his ministry, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does repent mean? Repent means to turn. Or what I like to say, to return. To return. Let me tell you why I like return better than to turn. Because when you return, you're turning back to where you once were. You say, well David, you were dead, you are always dead. I understand, but if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, previous to the fall of man, where were we? Adam and Eve were in the garden, Pure. So repentance is to return, to turn back, to turn to Christ, which means that we have to come to an understanding that we're dead in our trespasses. Now, one of the things I shared with you two Wednesday nights ago in the spiritual warfare battle was this, is that we've got to help people understand who we are. And I'm talking about who they are dead in their trespasses. We have to go back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 and show them that there's a problem in Genesis chapter 3 and it's called the fall of man. If you're sitting here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, let me just tell you this. According to the scriptures, you are dead. And I believe every word of the scriptures. And the reason I believe them is because they have played out in my life over and over and because I know that they are from the, the word, the breath of the living God. Let me show you what Paul says. Paul says in Acts chapter three nineteen, he says this. 
Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. Listen, it's about confessing Christ as your Lord and Savior and turning from who you once were. It's not accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior and saying, I'm going to stay dead. No, it's about turning to Him and running away from where we once were. And let me show you a powerful moment in the Scriptures. In Luke chapter 15, verse 7. Now this is Jesus. He's talking about how He left the 99 to go find the 1. And when He finds the 1, this is what He says in verse 7. I think we miss this in this parable. He says this, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who what? Repents. I think we miss that sometimes. We talk about how Jesus ran, he found the one, and he puts him on his shoulders and he brings him back. And then we miss verse 7, it says there's be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous person who needs no repentance. you got to understand, he's sharing that parable with the scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees. And then if you go down to verse 10, in the next one of the lost coin, the parable of the lost coin in verse 10, in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Man, when we hear that somebody has transformed from death to life and they have repented of their sins, they've turned to Christ and they're running to Christ, I'm telling you something, we should go crazy in this place. More crazy than any other football team scoring a touchdown. We should be so excited. Why? Because they once were dead, and now they're alive. Now what I want you to see is is that when they handed this to me, if I'm using this as the example as accepting Christ as my Lord and Savior, when they handed this to me, when I received Christ into my life, it changed my relationship with the world. See, previous to the point of knowing Christ, let me tell you, you were under the domain of darkness. You are being led by Satan and the world's forces. But when you accept Christ, your identity has changed. We've talked about that. I've preached on it. Your identity has changed. But it's also changed according to the world. So how does the world view us? Let's look at John 17, verse 14. It says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You got to understand, previous to salvation, you were on the world's team. You were running the same, the, the same roads as the world. You were, you were fighting the battles together with the world. You were, you were running and, and playing the same game with the world. And all of a sudden, you've accepted Christ. Your life was changed. You were dead. Now you're alive. Now you're on God's, king and, uh, God's kingdom, God's team. And the problem is, is that the world doesn't like the fact that you just changed to a different team. The world doesn't like it. They're struggling with it. But the reason that they're struggling with it is because they don't want to accept it themselves. If they accept that you had or needed a Savior to transform from this team, the world, to God's team, then they have to also come to the understanding that maybe they need it too. And they don't want to accept it. It says here in verse 14, as I just read, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. So there's three things I want you to see about the world's response to believers. Number one, 
is that the world forces Satan, demonic warfare, it hates believers. Let me go back to this. I had no clue that when they gave me this in, I think we were in Jaffa. In Jaffa, Israel. They give me this as a gift. We're going to get on a plane in a few hours. I had no clue the journey that was about to go forward for me. I'm carrying this and we head in and we get to the airport. Did you know at Tel Aviv we got there four hours early? And by the time we got to the plane, we had about 15 minutes before we could get on the plane. I pull up, we, we get in a big line, there's 49 of us, and the first thing this lady does is pulls me off to the side and starts interrogating me, which is part of their protocol. I'm very thankful for it. But in that interrogation of where'd your group go, who are you, what did y'all do, tell me all about your trip, what I found out later is that they were going to pull off other people on our trip and make sure we gave the same answers. Praise the Lord, we speak the truth, and so we were okay. But then the guy said, well, what is this? Now, I had him wrapped up. He goes, you're going to have to open up, show me what this is. I said, okay. I tell him, it's Jesus. He said, I don't know if you can take that on the plane. I was like, really? He's like, where'd you get it from? I said, it was a gift. I, I don't know where they got it from. Well, you don't know where they got it from. Who gave it to you? Well, this whole group of people gave it to me. And they began to ask over and over and over these questions about Jesus. Want to know, where did I get it from? Is he safe? Or is it okay for you to take him with you? We fly into New York City. I finally get it on the plane and we go. I didn't put it underneath because if I put it underneath, um, he probably would have been in many different pieces. Uh, it would have been a puzzle, not an not a, a olive wood cutout. So we get back to, to New York City and we go through customs. And as we go through customs, of course, I get a big X and have to go to another line. I don't understand. My wife gets to pass over here, and I've got to pass over there, and I'm just waving at her, and she's like, I'm going in, you're not. Um, you know, there was a few of us that had X's. We didn't know what it meant, but praise the Lord, we got through it. But they, they asked me, they're like, what's in the bag? I said, Jesus. And they were like, really? Let's see it. So I pull it out, and they had to look at it, and they were like, well, okay, let's see, you know, let's, they're checking him out. And, and it, became, it became a hassle. Well, I didn't realize, I forgot, it's been a little while since I've traveled overseas. And so after we went through customs, then we had to go back through TSA in America. So I go through TSA. My wife thankfully waited on me while I went through customs because she got the easy pass and I didn't. And so we get to TSA and we go through and they were like, sir, you're going to have to step over here. I said, yes, yes, ma'am. I said, what's wrong? They said, this bag right here, there's something, we got to figure out what's in it. And I said, man, like Jesus, what is going on? And so they were like, open it up and pull all the bubble tape and all this stuff. We've got to figure out what it is. And then this lady, I kid you not, she looked at me and she goes, that is a beautiful Mary. I was like, I was like a beautiful Mary? And then she looked closely at it and goes, oh, it's Jesus. So then they were like, is there a bomb in Jesus? I'm like, a bomb in Jesus? They were like, where'd you get it? I said, I don't know. They were like, you don't know. That's the wrong answer. They're like, do you have a receipt? No, ma'am, I don't. So they started swabbing Jesus all over and putting it into the machine to figure out if there was bomb residue on it. And I'm just sitting here like, it's Jesus. Like, it's Jesus, the good shepherd. Like, he's looking for you. But you know what the Lord spoke to me in that moment? That's the same thing as us as believers walking through this world.
as we walk through this world every day, the world's going to interrogate. They're going to look for fault in Jesus. They're going to try to deny him access to the plane to come home with us. They're going to try every way to discredit and discount you and Christ that's in you every day. And so this journey of taking the olive wood statue, the Lord began to show me what it's like as a believer every day. Because see, we can live in a bubble here in Mobile, Alabama, in a very religious area of the world. Just recently I flew to Minnesota and I saw in Minneapolis, I saw so many other different religions all in one. I felt like I was back in Israel, in Jerusalem. And my wife said, man, we're sheltered. I said, we're blessed. We're blessed. But that's what it's like for us every day because the world hates believers, as it says in verse 14. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Now I want you to understand, please hear me on this. People who are non-believers in Christ, do not believe in Christ, those who are dead in their trespasses, they are under the rule of the dominion of darkness. They are being deceived. They're being deceived. So when they come after us as believers in Christ, it's because of the deception that's taking place in their life. It's nothing personal. It's because they're being deceived. They don't even realize what they're doing. What did Jesus say? Forgive them. Why? They know not what they do. They're deceived. And let me just tell you, when you realize that somebody is deceived and that's why they're coming after you, it's a whole lot easier to handle that situation and to love them. Because you realize, hey, I once was there. That once was me. And outside of repenting and turning to Christ, I'd be doing the same thing. Can I tell you one way that I know that the Word of God is absolute truth and and, uh, there is no error in it? Because isn't it interesting that it's only Christianity that you see such a hatred towards? There's no other religion in this world that you see such a hatred towards. And it blows my mind because I'm sitting here thinking, why do people hate Christianity if they would live just according to the principles, which they can't without the Holy Spirit living in them, but if they would just take the principles of the Word of God and live, can you imagine what this world would look like? There would be no crime. There wouldn't be. I mean, there there wouldn't even be divorce. There's so many things that if we would just live accordingly and people would walk according to the principles, but listen, you can't do it without the Holy Spirit in you. So I want you to see that people are being deceived by the world's forces, by a demonic warfare, and that's the reason why we're treated the same way Jesus was treated going through the airports. But let me just tell you, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, all those people who hate believers, they are without excuse. It says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. They're without excuse. You know, it's interesting to me that people will just ignore a problem and hope it goes away. Right now, this moment, my oil light has come on in my car. That's a prayer request that I can just get the time to go get it done. I'm just kidding. But my oil light came on in my car. If I ignore the oil light, let me just tell you something. I'm going to eventually have bigger problems than just getting my oil changed for 19 
Many of you who know cars or understand realize that the longer you wait, the more problems you're going to have. And isn't it interesting that people today say, if I just ignore the fact that, that, that what this guy, he's been transformed from death to life, if I just ignore him and even hate that person and even to go against that person, then, then let me just say, I mean, I'll be okay. That's what the world's doing. They're ignoring the fact that Jesus Christ died for them. They're ignoring the fact that without Christ, they're dead. And without Christ, there is no salvation. So we see here. The second thing I want you to see first is that the world forces hates believers. But the second thing I want you to see is that it says here that, that, that you'll have persecution. In John chapter 15, if you go back two verses, in John chapter 15, I want you to see in verse 18, it says this. Verses 18 and on. It says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Let me just go back. Remember, your identity changed. You were on the world's team. They loved you. The world loved you. But now you're on God's team. You've been transformed. And so now they hate you. Because of the deception. But it also says, if you keep going, if you were all of the world, the world would love its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours also. He says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Let me ask you this question. Was Jesus persecuted? We just sang a beautiful song about Jesus' hands being nailed to the cross and the persecution that took and happened to Jesus ultimately on our behalf. So the second thing I want you to see is that our relationship with the world, the world is going to persecute us. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. You'll see it on the screens. It says this, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be what persecuted. Let me tell you something, persecution is coming. It's coming in many different ways. Right now, it's, it's just the political correctness. If you speak up, people think that, that you're, you're a bigot. If you speak up about the word of God, they say, how dare you be so narrow-minded. I love what Brother Fred says, and I share it all the time. I didn't write it, God did. I didn't write it, God did. He says, we will be persecuted. People will see the true hope of glory, a true belief and faith in Christ when we stand in the midst of persecution. People see the gospel of Jesus in the midst of martyrs. How often, because of somebody being persecuted even to death, that so many people have come to know Christ through it. In the areas in this world that are under strict persecution of Christians, we're seeing some of the highest growth rates of believers coming to Christ. As I've shared with you before, the story of the ISIS soldier, the guy was about to die, he was a believer in Christ, the ISIS soldier looked at him and said, hey, basically he was about to take him out and he said, hey, I want you to have my Bible, I want you to keep this, because where I'm going, I don't need it, because I got the word of God right there in heaven forever and ever. And ultimately through that, this ISIS soldier has shared his faith in Christ because that man handed him the word of God. And that guy died. The blood of martyrs is the seed to revival. 
Let me just say it again. The blood of martyrs is the seed to revival. But here's the beautiful thing. In Romans 8, 28, God says, Jesus says, God works all things together for good to those who love God. And you might say, well, David, I don't understand persecution. How does that work together for, for our good or for, 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 for God's glory? Well, let's just look at 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 14. It says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange things were happening to you. Hey, newsflash, he says, don't be like, what, what's going on? Like, hold up, like, I'm confused. Like, why am I going through persecution? Well, Jesus told us we would. All who desire to live a life of godliness, all who live a life of godliness will be persecuted. So he says, don't be confused about that. Verse 13, but to the degree that you share the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. How often do you hear that? That's another scripture we should memorize. Because when we go through persecution and trial, we should say, man, (laughs) this person's blessing me. That's not usually what we say. But it says, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. In Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, it says this in verse 11 and 12. In verse 11 and 12, it says, blessed are you. It says, blessed are you. Let me go to it. I, I, I'm, I didn't give that to him. I apologize. It says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Man, I don't know about y'all, but Lord, like, for real? People are talking about me. They're spreading rumors about me. They're speaking all these evil things about me, and God's saying, you are blessed. And I'm like, I don't get it. But it's because God shows us and and he's letting us see why we're blessed. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. When you stand in the midst of the persecution and the trials, when you're walking with Jesus and you're being questioned over and over and they're saying, you can't take him any further. And you say, yes, I can. And I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm not going to let the world dictate what Christianity means. I'm going to let the word of God show me what Jesus is and what he's done in my life and I'm going to walk with him in that moment when they bring about persecution it says you are blessed and your reward is in heaven maybe we need to be eternally minded and quit focusing on building our rewards here on this earth and say you know what I'm going to build my reward in heaven where the scripture says that rust and moth that nothing will take it away from us it can't be stolen So maybe we need to start saying, hey, I'm blessed. So the world's going to hate us. The world's going to persecute us. But let me show you the third thing I want you to see is the world is going to watch you. The world's going to watch you. In Matthew chapter 4, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, it says this in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It says, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. And I want you to catch this. It says... In verse 16, it says, Let your light shine before men in such a way, so that what? They may see what? Your good works. Let me tell you something. When you live according to the world and you're carrying Jesus, you're going to stand out. Listen, I was walking through the airport with this. Do you don't think I'm going to stand out? 
There were several people who looked at me like I was crazy. You're going to stand out when you walk according to the Word of God. And when the Holy Spirit is living in you, your life will look different than the world. You're not on the world's team anymore. You're on God's team. And so here's the thing. It says, let your good works be seen. Why? It says, and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Let me show you in 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 through 12. It says this, Beloved, I urge you as aliens. Why are we aliens? Strangers. Why are we strangers? Because we're not on the world's team anymore. We're not of this world. But we're in the world. As aliens and strangers abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. In verse 12, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of what? Your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So one, the world is going to hate us. The world's forces, darkness, the prince of the power of the air, the deception on non-believers, it's going to hate us. Number two, it's going to persecute us. But in that persecution and in their hate, you know what they're doing? They're looking at you. They're watching you. They want to see what happens and how you respond. And in verse 12 of 1 Peter 2, it says that they will glorify God in the day of visitation. I believe that people will come to know Christ. As I just said, the blood of the martyr is the seed to revival. I believe that people will come to know Jesus by the way that you stand firm. And they observe that through the trial, through the persecution, through the pain. But you've got to get to a place where it's about Him and not about your life. That you're for the kingdom of God and not for the kingdom of the world. Now let me just say this real quickly. Those three things that I just told you. That the world's forces will hate you, that they will persecute you, and that they're going to observe you. You've got really a couple ways you can respond. Number one, you can complain about it, which is what I hear sometimes. Oh, it's just not fair. I just, you know, it's just, I just... I. Do you realize what the world is doing? Yeah, they're lost. They're dead. They've been deceived. And you once were. So we can complain about it. Or we can hide it. I could try to, to hide this. You know, it doesn't really look so good. But we can hide it and say, you know what, I'm just not going to open my mouth. I'm not going to say anything because I don't, I don't, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody. I'm just, I'm just going to go live in my, my Christian bubble and I'm going to just stay away from it all because I just don't want to go there with people. We can complain about it. We can hide from it. Or we can stand. In Ephesians chapter 6, what does it say? It says, stand firm. Why are we standing Because we're fighting with Christ, Christ in us, and we're going to stand in the midst of this world. What did he say um, as we went to Caesarea Philippi and we discussed in Caesarea Philippi that it says, Upon this rock I will build the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And I shared with the people there, I've shared with y'all as the body of Christ, what's the gates of hell? He was talking about in Caesarea Philippi is one of the most dark, one of the most pagan worshipped areas in all of Israel. And he was saying, hey, amidst the culture, my church will not fall. My church will stand. Why? Because it's not us standing, it's Christ in us standing. So the three things I wanted you to see today was this, about how the world sees believers. One's the world forces hate us. 
Two is persecution. Three is that they observe us. But now, let me transition and close with this. I have four things I want you to see of how we as Christians should see the world. Now, let me just kind of give you a disclaimer here. You cannot respond biblically to the world unless it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. It says, but Christ lives in me. Brother Fred and I have preached it a hundred times, a spirit-filled life. What I'm about to share with you, you cannot do on your own. You know how we in our flesh respond to the hate of this world? With hate. With anger and frustration. Have any of you in this room ever been upset with somebody and neither party would talk? Where would it get you? One of my friends and I, way back in the day, like 20 years ago, we got into a big argument. We wouldn't talk with each other. Instead, we would just write like something and then just leave. But you know what? Until we sat down and actually talked and didn't respond with frustration with frustration and anger with anger, we never got over it. So what is God telling us to do? He's telling us to respond in a couple ways in Christ to the world. If we responded the same way the world responded to us, we would get nowhere. We would get nowhere. So here's the things that the Lord has put on my heart that we are to respond to the world. Number one, we're to love them. I didn't say you have to like what they're doing. I didn't say like, well, well, thank you so much for persecuting me. No, but we're to love them. Remember, they've been deceived by the evil one. They're dead just like we once were. And God's called us to love them. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 43 through 44. It says this, You have heard that it was said, love your, uh, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is what you've heard. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Ooh. Maybe today we need a paradigm shift in our mind. And instead of responding to the world with the world's way of response, maybe we need to start, and it's not maybe, we need to start responding to the world by loving them. Loving them enough not to hide Jesus from them. Well, I'm fearful. I don't want to offend anybody. I'm going to hide him. Loving them enough to say, let me tell you about Jesus. Loving them enough to come and and sit down and, and just... Spend life with them for a moment and hear what's going on. Loving them does not mean that you like what they're doing, but to love somebody means that you have their best interest in mind. Too often we run with frustration. But God tells us to love them just as he loved us. Look at John 3.16. You all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It didn't say that he loved the world because he knew that they would, like, they're going to they're gonna give all this in return. He just says, I love you. He said, I love you. In your sinful state, I love you. And I love you so much that I'm going to send Jesus to die for you. Do we love people like that? Do we love the unlovable like that? 
that he was sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Look at Romans 5, 8, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. But God demonstrated what? His love towards us, that though we were sinners, Christ died for us. Do we have that kind of love for Mobile, Alabama? I told you it's impossible without the Holy Spirit doing this through you. You know, the second thing I believe that the Lord has told us today is that He's called us to forgive them. The example of Jesus is actually in Luke chapter 23, verses 34. And we see His example, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. I believe that's the same prayer that we should also have for non-believers. If they truly are deceived, which I, we know they are, it's scriptural. If they're deceived, and so their response to Christianity is out of the deception and the death of who they are. And in the darkness of Satan and his dominion, as it says in Colossians 1.13, then we should also pray, God forgive them, they don't understand what they're doing. They don't get it. But God, I, help me in my heart to forgive them. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 6, 14 through 15. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and blameless, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against another one, just as the Lord forgave you, you should also, or so also should you. God has called us with the Holy Spirit through us to offer forgiveness. Let me just say this again. Forgiving somebody doesn't mean that what they're doing is right. I heard somebody tell me one time, I can't forgive that person. Because if I forgive them, then it will justify their actions. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You forgiving them is releasing that from you. That's the reason why I tell people all the time, don't tell me you're sorry, seek forgiveness. If I have wronged somebody, I go to them and I say, will you forgive me? Because I am releasing that in that moment to them and saying, hey, I'm, I'm asking for your forgiveness. I am humbling myself before you. And so also we should forgive those who persecute us. So one, we should love them. Two, we should forgive them. Number three, pray for them. Pray for them. How often do you pray for the city of Mobile that the light of Christ would open the eyes of the darkness. It says in Matthew chapter 5, 43 and 44, we just read talking about love, but he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Man, God just said you're blessed for being persecuted and pray for them. And pray for them. Are you, am I praying for the people of Mobile, Alabama that they would get saved? Are we praying for those who are coming against us every day? It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 4, I love this. It says, First of all, then I urge you, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of what? All men. And then go to the verse 4. Skip on down in verse 4. Who desires 
all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I believe that God has called us to love, to forgive, to pray, and here's the last one. And I think that, that we've, we've got to make sure that we're doing all of these. And the last one is this. I believe that God has called us to share with them. Instead of just saying, hey, you know what? I love you. I love you. Hey, I love you. And I forgive you. But they've got to know why. It's not you. It's not me. It's Christ in me. The hope of glory. I can't forgive you on my own. I have zero desire in my flesh to forgive you. I've got zero desire in my flesh to love you. I've got zero desire in my flesh to pray for you. But when it's Christ in me, the hope of glory, love will come forth. I will pray for you and I will seek and give forgiveness of what's going forth in your life. And let me just tell you why. It's because Jesus has changed my life. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, many of you know this, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be what? My witnesses. Both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth, God has called us to be His witnesses, to share with them why forgiveness comes out when it, when it shouldn't. On a flesh world level, what in the world? You're forgiving me, you're praying for me, you're loving me, even though I just persecuted you? Let me tell you why, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And one of my favorite verses, and I'll, I'll begin to wrap this up and close here, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Listen, I think that it's very difficult to love the people who persecute you. I think it's very difficult to forgive the people that, that, that are coming against you. I think it's very difficult to pray for them. But let me just tell you, you have missed it if you don't tell them that it's Jesus and not you. They've got to know that it's Jesus and not you. Because when they get to that point and that understanding, they can begin to see, man, I need Jesus. And you say, listen, you know why I love you? Because I once was dead. You know why I pray for you? Because I once was dead. You know why I'm sharing the gospel and seeking forgiveness? Is because I once too was just like you. But Jesus Christ came into my life. And I turned. I returned to Christ. I turned from the world's team. I once was with you, brother. But listen, I have turned. I'm with Jesus. And I'm calling and asking, would you also come? And receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and repent and turn from your sins. So this is how I want to close today. In this world, it's difficult to walk around with Jesus on a worldly level. But greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. And when we yield to Christ in us, the world's going to see that we love them though they don't. That we forgive them though they don't. That we're praying for them though they aren't praying for us. And we're going to share this all because of Jesus. 
And so let me ask you this today. Is that your life in relationship to the world? For some of you in this room today, you're saying, David, I'm still paralyzed by how the world treats me. I'm absolutely paralyzed. And I challenge you today that you will get to a place where you fall on your face before a holy God and say, God, I truly believe that you are greater than he that's in the world. And so I'm going to trust you and I'm not going to hide it anymore. I'm not going to to complain about it anymore. I'm going to stand on Christ and Christ alone and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for some of us in this room today, God's saying, hey, you've got to respond with love. You've got to respond with forgiveness. You've got to be in your, on your knees praying for them. And you've got to go and tell them the truth of Jesus Christ. I don't know where you're at, but I know that the Lord is speaking to all of us in this room. And the only way we'll do that is by yielding to him.